Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge Podcast, where we discuss creatives of color disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Fashan, and on this episode, we speak with TV and film critics Shannon L. Miller, Joelle Monique, and Clarkisha Kent for a deep dive into Episode 5 of Lovecraft Country. Please note, this episode has major spoilers, as well as discussion of rape and sexual violence. Um, so we have gathered this coven of fabulous Black women together um, <laughs> because we want to talk about episode five of, Clark- of Lovecraft Country, which, which will be airing this Sunday. So that's the 13th, correct? Uh, Sunday thir- uh, on, on HBO, we all were able to get advanced uh, screeners. So we've already seen it. And all of us have been pretty much holding our tongues because I'm assuming all of you guys saw it like weeks ago, right? So like three, four weeks ago. Yeah, I watched it and, for the first uh, time two days ago and I've seen it. Wow. Three times since. Yeah, mine was <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. Yours was yesterday. Yeah. Oh I was like, uh, <laughs> let, me, let me catch up to everybody, you know. Yeah, like everybody that I've talked to with Lovecraft Country, it's like, what do you think of the show? I'm like, I it's great, it's brilliant, it's this. And then I always end with, wait till you get to episode five. That's all I keep telling everybody because yeah. they're not ready. They're like, what, what can you tell us? And I'm like, I can't tell you anything. All I know is I hope that Twitter has like some backup support because I'm predicting that Twitter is going to fucking crash on Sunday night. I don't think people are ready. <laughs> I really, 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 really. It's wild. So um, the episode is titled um, A Strange Case, and it is actually directed by Cheryl Dunier, who is a um, rather uh, well-known black lesbian director. She, I think she directed The Water Woman, uh, Watermelon Woman, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So I'm going to start like just kind of going around like just your initial thoughts of episode five. So um, I'll start with you, Shannon, and then Joelle, and then Clarkisha, and then we'll just, you know, keep going around. What, what did you guys think of episode five? I mean, and, and spoilers, spoilers. I'll, I'll just put a, a disclaimer. If you have not seen episode five yet, please don't listen to this podcast. There's yeah. a lot of spoilers. So feel free to discuss all the all the plot points. Oh, good, good. I'm really glad you said that because um, this is definitely not the episode to hold back because yeah, yeah. this episode didn't hold back. I thought that it was an... I thought it was an ideal encapsulation of what it means um, between how Black women navigate this world versus how we would like to navigate this world. Absolutely. And mm. it was, I thought the imagery and what everyone needs to know off rip, I don't do horror. Oh, <laughs> I, no. don't do, I don't do like <laughs> recreational um, scare jumps and gore and, and things like that. I usually frolic over in rom-com land that's where i'm safest that's where i'm whole so i this has been a really um eye-opening experience for me in terms of the things that i look for in storytelling and horror and gore um tend to do a really good job at least depending on whose hands it's in, do a really good job of sort of distilling experiences in imagery. And I think that Lovecraft Country thus far has done it so expertly. But episode five, my God, I mean, to talk about, there's just so much to dig into with it. it, it you can talk about 
the safety of, or the perceived safety about like, you know, the proximity to whiteness. You can talk about, um, you know, what that comfort level of that sort of deceit that you feel when you um, finally have that proximity or assimilation and then realize, oh no, you are still very much black. <laughs> um, there is just mm. so much to dig into here. And it was easily um, my favorite episode of the batch of episodes mm. that we saw. So I'm really excited to dig in and, and to get into some details here. Okay. What did you think, Joelle? Yeah, uh, just piggybacking off of that, beyond our uh, the ideals of like what it, this episode really digs into the idea of like what is it not just to be black on the outside but on the inside, right? How would you feel walking around in white skin? Which I think anybody who's felt discriminated against at some point has wondered like if I looked like I fit and belonged in this world, what would my day play out like? So they take that but then expand upon it to the point of like how do you represent yourself within your own culture how do you represent yourself to yourself like Mm -hmm. these deep deep thoughts on like then what is beauty even in these minutes of gore there's the way they evolve the transition of going from being a white person to or going from being a black person living in white skin to being her authentic self, these metamorphoses, as they call them, the way their shot evolves over time so that that Ooh. final one hits you straight in the heart because mm-hmm. you're seeing not just a difference in skin tone, not just a difference in height, not just a difference in weight, but a difference in shape, right? Mm-hmm. And like, what does it, like, mm-hmm. a strong Black woman's body is familiar to all of us because we come from Black women. Right, I know what my mother's shoulders feel like, and I know what it is to hold her, and I know what it is to to live and exist in that skin. And so to show it in a way that is not just gory, but is literally ripping away the ideal and stepping into a self, the Ruby's transformation internally throughout this episode is, I cling to it. I love Ruby. Like, I liked mm-hmm. Ruby before. I was so entranced by the performance of Ruby, but there's like, she's like my ride or die now. <laughs> I want to mm-hmm. see Ruby in 6 million different things. So let's get her as many outfits as Miss Journey has had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to dress her up and make her pretty and take her out. And like, there's something, there's definitely a message of self-love wrapped in this horror story. And it's very brilliant. Okay. What did you think, Clarkisha? Uh, (laughs) so I love stories and storytellers who aren't afraid to get a little messy, um, a little in your face, a little maybe Mm -hmm. slightly heavy handed on the message they're trying to tell. Um, I like storytellers who are fearless like that. So when I read the synopsis, (laughs) before I watched the episode, right, when I read the synopsis of this episode... And <laughs> what Ruby is up <laughs> asking for, I was like, "Ooh, this is spicy!" Like, "Ooh, oh, I want to see what they do with this." Um, I'm intrigued. You have my attention, you know. Um, um, and I don't know. Like, I'm really interested to see what the wider reception will be to it. Mm. Um, because me personally, I know how I feel. I think that. 
um, a lot of us, whether we want to be um, transparent about it or not, have had like that split second moment in time where we're like, you know what? What would it be like to be a white person? Like, what would it like to not have to worry about this extra shit? Like, you know, because there's already shit we worry about, like living, right? You know, but this this extra um, layer of, I don't even know what to call it, like, I don't want to necessarily say obstacles because I don't view my blackness as an obstacle, mm-hmm. but there are certain obstacles that are associated, you know, just well, your you blackness know. is not an obstacle, but the world is certainly going to put hurdles in yes. front of you because you're black. Because of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I feel like a lot of us have had that slow moment. Like, like, what if I just didn't have to deal with this, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and kind of seeing Ruby have that split second moment, but then, have her her split second wish granted was so interesting to me um because i've you know i've been watching the series carefully and kind of um s- trying to suss out outside of the main story like what are you know the family dynamics um like on top of like racism right how is colorism functioning here because i feel like that's a part of everything that's an undercurrent mm-hmm. in everything mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. even our stories right um so with that in mind, um, seeing, you know, Letitia and Ruby interact, having that be the undercurrent, and then having Ruby go through this really um, interesting story um, by way of, you know, a literal deal <laughs> with the devil. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a really smart way to engage that. I thought picking Ruby to do it was perfect. I would have had a huge issue with it if the um if that storyline had went to Letitia. I'd be like, ah, yeah. like yeah. Yes. Really yes. I agree so, with that. Yeah. yeah. So giving her the storyline, I feel like would have been like, oh, so y'all really just don't again, we have another show that doesn't get it, that doesn't get mm-hmm. that racism mm-hmm. and colorism are bed buddies, you know, like that doesn't understand it. So I'm really glad they gave that to Ruby. Um and then obviously <laughs> getting her like seeing her in real time navigate whiteness as a white woman, you know, like was really like I feel like we'll be talking about this episode for a long time. Um yeah. as one of the series yeah, of I think so too. Um I, I did want to rewind because before we, we start on episode five, like with like the, the nitty-gritty of episode five, I did want to rewind a little bit to episode four because the setup is there, right? Uh, Ruby Mm. is at a bar. She's feeling really raw because from episode three, she and Letitia had this huge blowout. And and like you said, Clarkisha, there's there's a lot of um, tension between the Letitia and Ruby dynamic. Um, A lot of, you know, some of it is grounded in in colorism because Ruby is darker skinned and she's, you know, fuller figured Mm -hmm. and Letitia Mm -hmm. is lighter skinned and slimmer, right? and not to say that, that that immunizes her from racism, but there is a certain way that Letitia navigates in the world versus Ruby. Mm-hmm. And so so in episode four, we find Ruby at the bar. She's nursing a drink. And then that's when William, who is sort of Christina's companion slash, you know, accomplice, walks in and they... <laughs> uh, yeah, so he basically talks her up at the bar and they end up going back to his place and they have this very... Um, spicy sexy and i wanted to talk to you guys because what was very interesting to me was that when the 
episode aired because I, I believe HBO uh, Max aired. Uh, they dropped it like two days before the air date on on Sunday. I think they dropped it on Friday because mm-hmm. of the the Labor Day holiday. And so already I was, I had just put a tweet out on Saturday and I was just like, I'm just really curious to see what people, I'm ready to discuss the Ruby William, you know, dynamic mm. or whatever, the sex scene. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting to me, I wanted to ask you guys about that. What was interesting to me was that I was getting comments saying that the sex scene looked uncomfortable because why would you have sex on the stairs? And I was like, that's what y'all got from the scene? But okay. <laughs> the problem was stairs, not anything else. Listen, nope. as somebody nope, who was trying, like, there's a lot to get out of that scene, but the stairs do look uncomfortable, man. That's a lot of you holding yourself yeah. up, getting digged down, like trying not to fall down. It did a little, it was like spicy and there's so much to get out of. Like, my God, look at this woman being lusted after. Look at her being like genuinely cared for in this moment. Look at like her mm-hmm. sexual desire being put first. Like all of that is hyper important. I also did think the stairs looked uncomfortable. But it's, it's interesting because like you, we okay. see so many sex scenes mm-hmm. with, um, with skinnier folk. And a lot of times that doesn't look comfortable either. Like they'll be like up against walls and just like, like wheelbarrowing in the middle of the floor. (laughs) And like, it's like that, like it's, there's just this level of uncomfortability. I think that is always like filtered through these lustful scenes to sort of emphasize like, this person wanting this other person any way that they can get them. Yes. I, I'm not about to be on any stairs. You won't find me <laughs> on any sort of incline. <laughs> but I think that, that kind of heightened it a little bit that like there was that raw passion and they did not give a, uh, give two fucks that yes. this thing yes. was so uncomfortable. Um, and that's just not something that we get to see big dark skinned women get um William is by no means my type but um I thought that that was interesting (laughs) right right yeah I just thought it was um I I think you do bring up you do bring up a good point in the fact that I mean we we, I've seen plenty of sex scenes where people have sex on the scene because um Shannon Shannon Houston who's one of the writers producers of Lovecraft Country did point out the fact that the episode is called a history of violence and that sex scene was actually an homage to the movie a history of violence with video mortensen oh wow i forget the name of the actress who played his wife where they had sex on the stairs right and so i was just like i don't remember people complaining about that sex scene when this history of violence came out but i think it's to your point shannon and the fact of of how we see bodies that look like rubies women who look like ruby they're not usually the object of urgent passionate desire you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like they're usually desexualized they're mammified you know what i mean and if i remember correctly the episode just before that letitia had lost her virginity having sex in a bathroom with um atticus and i didn't see anybody complaining oh about that God, so i corona. just thought that they were just imagine the corona <laughs> in the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> Like, what the hell? I was just like, okay, so yeah. Did, and if you look at Letitia, like, so the first time Letitia has sex with Atticus, she has sex with him in the bathroom. And then the second episode, I mean, the second time they have sex, they have sex in his um, his uncle's garage. Like, they start making he out sure on the car. 
and they mm-hmm. move to the cat, and it's a very passionate scene. So I really actually thought it was actually quite interesting to see these two sisters who look very different, but are engaging in like their own sexual agency. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I caught that part where William, I think Ruby had cut her finger. I think when they were kissing, and then she cut her finger. Um, her hand on a, a vase that had broken or whatever. And then William just kind of looked at the blood and then he just sucked it. And I was just like, like, right I was, like, I was like, I was like, I was like, wow. I, I mean, I feel like the last time I saw something like that, like that's something that's very much in tune with true blood. We saw a lot of that kind of kinky, blood play you know with Suki and William and William but never but we it's never us like women who look like us are never the object of that and I was just sort of like I don't have a problem with you know you know plus size or or fat black women engaging in some kink like we don't Mm -hmm. always have to have romantic Mm -hmm. vanilla sex we don't necessarily have to have it all the time um so anyway that happens and then when we start with episode five, we see this white woman who wakes up in a bed and we realize that the white woman is Ruby. Um, and so <laughs> I thought it was very interesting. Like what I thought was interesting. And I think I, I'm, I'd be very curious. I wanted to get you guys thoughts, but also the writers, if they ever talk about it. Um, it's nothing, no disrespect to the white actress who plays white Ruby, but I thought it was very interesting that they found like a very rather basic looking white actress, like at least the way they made her look on the show. Like she's not, she's not anyone that you would just be like, oh my gosh, she's so gorgeous. You know what I mean? Like she's got the very thin lips. I I think that's the point though, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that's the point that a lot of these white women don't be remarkable. But by, <laughs> they, don't, they, don't, they don't. They don't. Whoever listening, they do not. They do not. Capital D, do not. Um, they don't be more remarkable looking. They're not that smart. Not that athletic. Like there's nothing remarkably special or unique about them. But by virtue of being um white, you know, by virtue of whiteness, but also by virtue of being the trophy of whiteness for white men, you know, um, they mm. they get to kind of coast on that. You know, and they don't have to be, you know, that good looking or or special or whatever. So I actually am impressed that they, they picked like again, no insulting the actress. Um, she was she was she she seems delightful, but they they I think it was intentional. <laughs> I think it was intentional that they picked someone basic, like in comparison to someone like like Ruby. You know, I think that was, right. I think Ruby I, I like that. I like that they did that. I mm-hmm. like that they did that. Yeah, I need to, because Wami Masaku is, like, gorgeous. Like, every time mm-hmm. she comes on screen, I'm like, oh, my God, this woman exists. Crazy. Uh, but, like, the way that she was able to move and was so easily accepted, I mean, particularly if we're going to, like, get into the meat of the episode, when she goes in for her interview as a white woman, like, <laughs> and we've all been there of like here are all of my credentials, here's all my hard work, and you're still being questioned, and you're still being, like, called out your name and being told like you don't have enough mm-hmm. experience for her to waltz in there and they're like guys like man you could take my job as a white woman now when you couldn't even get your foot in the door as a black woman like it was astounding to sort of watch her even just be at ease on the park bench afterwards reading her mm-hmm. paper like just unbothered and there's like this thought of like man like what if no one bothered me and I could literally do whatever I wanted 
Just and that's freedom. that's like so key in what we as black women are always saying that we want like pie in the sky. What would our existence look like if, as Christina says towards the end of the episode, if we could do whatever the fuck we want? And honestly, we just want to be left alone. Like, we don't, like, of course, you know, we have our dreams, we have our goals, we have, you know, our, our sort of fantasies, but that piece of being able to just enjoy your ice cream on a bench and read your newspaper in total peace that for us is a dream. And that's why this world is so sick because it is, that is such a simple thing. And then you have that scene in particular kind of hit different the second time I watched it because I was just so, I was so enthralled in what was happening (laughs) that I was, I didn't pick up on the little things like um, the spoken word, the four color girls who have considered suicide playing in the background. And yes, there and there's that moment where they have like you know sing the song of her possibilities sing a righteous gospel let her be born let her be born and handled warmly and it's like the what the length she had to go to to get that kind of treatment she literally had to turn into a white woman to just enjoy the sun and her fucking ice cream her free ice cream mind you because she Mm -hmm. left that huge wad of money on the dresser because she said she didn't need it all she needed was the yeah. currency of her whiteness. That that went down. I mean, like it, it, it's just kind of you see all these details culminate in this really sad truth about what it means to be a black woman, and sort of circling back to Hillary. It took me forever to re- remember what the fact that they named her Hillary. Also, hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> because no offense to Hillarys, I have not met. But the ones I have, I have not liked. So. Yes. Ditto. 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 It's somebody annoying, nasally, ain't no, like, leave me alone, Hillary. <laughs> like, Hillary, Hillary almost got the Karen treatment, but Karen just got there first. But if we ever get to evolve out of this, the next evolving white woman will probably be named Hillary. So, like, the, for her to be named Hillary, and like you said, she's like, First of all, I think the, I can't even remember the actress's name. I know her last name is Newman. I want to say her name is like Julie Newman Um, or no, Jamie Newman. My bad. Um, But like when you see her out, just in in, Newman. Yes. Yeah. She's, she's a very beautiful woman. So what they did with her in the show kind of, they made her kind Mm. of look older and like you said, they kind of planed her down a lot and she was still the most powerful bitch in, in in town because hello that's whiteness that's what it means to be a white woman there's just a lot of details that they interwove in this mm-hmm. to really to really talk about that disparity between ruby and hillary that i thought were were brilliant um it'll be interesting to see what other people say but i, I thought that, that was kind of brilliantly done how they did that yeah um i i was thinking about the scene where you know, the first time when she when she wakes up as a white woman and she runs out into the street. So she actually runs back to her neighborhood. So she's this white woman in a robe mm-hmm. running on the street, looking hysterical like she's just escaped an, a, a, an asylum or something. And just the treatment that she got, like this young black man um, boy was trying to help her. And it w- I don't even know where those cops came from. It was just like 
they just swooped down on him and threw him on the car, threw him on the hood Slid of the car. In. And you know what I'm saying? And she was like, and then she had to intercede and was like, no, he's not doing. I was just like, where did these cops come from? Like, who called them? They, like, they where spawned, you know, they spawned like when the monsters they spawned. In the <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh my god, it's, it's a black child talking to a white woman. We we gotta save her. We have to. We have to. Yes, eating popcorn, yes. So mind you. <laughs> yes, right, and and of of course that was like shades of Emmett Till, right? Because just the episode, I think it was two episodes before. That's when they. Um, had revealed that uh, that seance scene, the Ouija, bo- Ouija board scene with the the black kids at the party. One of those children was indeed Emmett Till, and mm-hmm. I think he had asked the Ouija board, "Am I, am I gonna, you know, am I gonna have fun on my vacation?" And it was like, "No." Oh God! Um, and that kept me up for nights afterwards. So just seeing that scene again of that young boy, black boy, being you know manhandled by the by or just assaulted by the cops was mm-hmm. definitely like another shade of that. But what was interesting to me was that so the, so she starts met, met, you know changing back into Ruby, right? Because you know uh, William takes her in, and you see that he has plastic on the floor, and he's got like these kitchen <laughs> gloves, and I'm like. Uh-oh. this can't be good Uh-oh. what's going on here like i, I kind of had an idea of what was going on and then basically like he lays her on the floor and he has like this huge butcher knife and then he just you know stabs it in her chest and like pulls the white off of her basically you know what i mean literally mm-hmm. and it was a conversation that they had after which was really interesting to me because when she was kind of trying to explain to William what the experience was like, or I guess he was asking her questions and he was like, well, I know you're confused because I know it must've been painful. She was like, no, she was like, it was, it was more than pain. It was like, I was being unmade. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, that was such an interesting choice of words. Right. But then when I really started to think about it, I think that they were intentional with that word because Remember, when we talk about feminism, right, white women are always telling black women and women of color, like, oh, we're all the same. We have the Mm. same shared experience and everything. But no, a metaphor like for a black woman like Ruby to change into a white woman, it's not presto change. I actually appreciate the body horror aspect of her transforming, because I think Mm -hmm. if it was like a pretty transformation, I think that would have been more problematic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was necessary. Yeah. yeah, I think um, I think the thing I love about this show is that um, it it plays with um, violence beyond the typical you know monster gore setup, right? So I love Rebecca that you brought the word unmade um, mm-hmm. because it's not she's not saying oh I felt different, I felt weird. No, she says mm-hmm. unmade like she she literally was. Um, it's violent. The word is violent. It, it implies the violence that was done to her in her psyche and that, you know, she's literally um, not just embodied, but her insides, her her mind, her her um, spirit, everything that's ever known blackness is literally being unmade to make room for, yes, now her being white. You know, it's a it goes beyond the physical transformation aspect every fiber of her is going to have to change to now accommodate whiteness on a um internal mm. level on an internal yeah. level um, well, let's even go sorry i didn't mean to cut you off go ahead yeah if we travel back to episode three which is the first time we're in hiram's haunted mansion um there's she's sitting around a table like during the party talking to a group of people uh, and she says something to the effect, and I'm definitely paraphrasing, of if black people worked as hard as me, 
our race would be much further. Right. And that yes. moment sticks out for me for her because this is a woman who's clearly like on a path, right? Like she's doing the work, she's working all of the time, many jobs, you know, supporting her family very much in that like eldest sister of a black family's headspace. Right. But she still believes that like the promise is coming, which is crazy to me. Uh At her big age, I Uh was like, girl, you have to know that there's no amount of hard work you could do that could make people forget that you're black. Right. And and negate that. And so to see her get that education firsthand by sort of getting that wish of being able to fit in and like walk into the martial fields and be seen and, and, you know, do all of these things to watch her be unmade in that way to, or not even to be unmade, let's not use that word, to watch her learn and figure out like how the cards are dealt right and how yeah. she's mm-hmm. been played this entire time it was like a painful but necessary lesson and an interesting way to show that because i think a lot of professional black women or or black women who've grown up with affluence believe this or have mm-hmm. hold that ideal of if you just work hard and do what you're supposed to then eventually the opportunities will present themselves and that's just not always going to be the case mm-hmm. right and I, I think with the body horror in particular um it did such a good job of el- illustrating what it means to um have to briefly have that proximity to whiteness and what it means to have that literally stripped away um because mm when she morphs out of that white body it's not pretty it's like you said it's not presto changeo it's not um you know very like sparkly uh not sparkly special effects that oh no i'm ruby again dear me it's gritty it's <laughs> ugly it's violent and that's and that's what happens when you you're stripped away from that safety yeah like you it's not just a matter of like Oh, we don't mess with you anymore. It's you lose opportunities. You can lose your livelihood. You could be harassed, doxxed, um, you know, accosted. But it's never just a oh, you're in and now you're out. Not when you're black, especially not when you're a black woman. It's it's this horrific thing that happens when your otherness is weaponized against you. So. I don't like gore normally. I loved it here because yeah. it's it's accurate. Um, mm-hmm. And especially, I think someone like Ruby, because I love Ruby. She's easily my favorite character of the bunch. She reminds me of Uncle George in a way, in a lot of ways, where like she's black as fuck. She is happy to be black she's proud to be black but she does she did a little bit um adapt to that buy your bootstraps mentality of like like you said if you work as hard as me um you know we will get there and you know as joelle said like no girl that's not that's not how that works um so it yeah it, it was interesting to see her in particular learn that lesson um in this really gruesome way it took me a while yeah. to like actually you know, watch it, but <laughs> well, you know what's interesting? Like, I just thought about uh, as you were speaking, Shannon. I was just thinking about the fact that when we see the transformation scenes, we only see her transform from Hillary to Ruby. We mm-hmm. never see that. We never actually see what happens when she takes the um, when she takes the potion to That's turn true. into a white woman. And I think maybe I'm wondering if maybe perhaps there's 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 something there because. 
as violent as those transformation transformations are when she's turning from a white woman back to Ruby, the destruction and the violence is actually on the white female body. It is never really on Ruby's. We never mm-hmm. really see Ruby's body. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if there's an intention. I'm wondering if there's an intention in that. Well, I think if we look at the butterfly metaphor, the idea is that like she's being wrapped in this cocoon of whiteness, right? Because she doesn't change on the inside at all. And so my my thought process of this is slowly overnight, this like white skin or crawls over her and she's housed in this thing. But then in order to become her true self, she has to literally bust out of that cocoon and back into her like butterfly free self. That was the, like specifically again with that last transformation, because it goes from being like, it's very gory the holy through and it's still gory at the end, but there's something almost beautiful about her making the choice to be herself. And part of it. Yes. Yes. Like mm-hmm. Yes. That's true. A very determined stance to stand up for a woman that she once resented for having the position and the access she wanted. And of course she learns that that position and access came with a lot. She, it's not something that that woman earned. It's not something she even really wanted. And it came at the cost of sexual assault and with a, a whole bunch of coworkers who just violently hated her and were not afraid to show that. So she's mm. diminished in a lot of ways. And there's, there's, all of the things that looked like a gift to Ruby were kind of a curse for that poor woman. She's just trying to live her life and get a job. Right. <laughs> she came with all of this extra baggage that she didn't deserve. So for Ruby to then like step into her own like blackness and to like side with sisterhood and be like, I'm going to shove this heel all the way up your ass. I was like, like literally putting her foot in it. Like <laughs> blackness in that moment, a lot of like subtle things that like are indicative strictly to the black female community. And it was lovely as horrific as it was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking about, and the thing is um, in her, when she, you know, she gets the job as Hillary and, and it, it was, it was impressed upon me. Like I, I'm pretty sure that when she went to, interview for that job at Marshall Fields, I'm pretty sure that was Ruby's resume. She probably used the same exact resume, but Mm. she was not only was she able to get the job as a white woman, she got a promotion. They didn't even start her out as a sales girl. She became assistant manager, just like that. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And so I I wanted to talk to you guys about the, the, she had a couple of interactions with the black sales girl who was hired at Marshall Fields, right? So the first one, that was when she, you know, she's on the sales floor and she's asking her how she's doing. And she starts asking these questions. And she was just like, well, I know that you said that you had, you know, interviewed for this job on a whim, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, she was like, oh, well, you must have been qualified, right? Because like you said, you know, Ruby's on this, you know, respectability juice. And mm-hmm. the girl was like, well, for somebody who, who hadn't even finished eighth grade, I'm shocked that I'm working here. And so Ruby's like, wait, you didn't even, well, Hillary, it's like, you didn't even finish high school? Like, we come to find out that this girl, bless her heart, is not even qualified. Like, she didn't even have the qualifications to even be a salesperson here. And Mm -hmm. I think what was especially brilliant about that scene was that not only was this girl, she was Black, she was dark-skinned just like Ruby. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, so what's the difference here? She was thin. So then not only are we talking about colorism, we're talking Mm -hmm. about sizeism, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And maybe there might be some, yeah, and there might be some ageism. I, I, I wanted to start with you, Clarkisha. What did you What did you think about that? Um, like the scene that you just described. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I love when shows, e- even subtly or maybe unsubtly, 
decide to address um, fatphobia um, because it is just like colorism, just like also ableism, kind of interwoven um, into everything. <laughs> so when she mentioned that um, just the entire lack uh, of qualifications, but still kind of being here to have the job, um, obviously my brain immediately goes to the whole um, the twice as good thing. But I don't think people register how that twice as good thing gets magnified when you're in a larger body um because mm. um i i y'all have probably seen my tweets where i'm talking about just how shitty plus size clothing is it's just terrible i just want to be a bad bitch i just want to show my ass show a little titty you know just a little bit respectfully tastefully and just the ugly ass shit they're trying to make us wear like oh i don't want to wear i don't want to wear grandma's couch I want some leather booty shorts. That's what I want. <laughs> and we don't get that. I have to go out and, you know, cut something up or, you know, thrift shot. You know, I have to go out of my way to look remotely normal even. Um, so I'm, I'm mentioning this because there's certain things that obviously get projected on fatter bodies um, in comparison to skinnier bodies. Um, a skinny person can throw on a sack, you know, a potato sack, and they're going to mm. still be called stylish right mm -hmm. if i put on a potato sack if one of us put on a potato sack somebody's gonna call us what dirty sloppy lazy like you know the, the insults start rolling in um so i thought it was interesting um that they kind of subtly highlighted um just how much even more extra work that a larger person has to do to not only be deemed for neat looking or respectable but also worthy of respect period like just worthy mm -hmm. of being treated like a normal person talk less of a job you know getting a job getting housing getting whatever the fuck else um so um i thought that was an interesting scene um to include because we don't we don't talk about that a lot especially in regards to blackness even though fatphobia is rooted in anti-blackness but anyways i'm not gonna i'm gonna get off my soapbox okay <laughs> 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 so Shannon and Joelle, what did what did you think of that scene, or what what did you pick up from that scene? Um, I thought it was uh, very telling how quickly uh, Ruby was ready to assimilate um, with it, and she and like Joelle um, very brilliantly pointed out, they they set that up in the previous episode. Yeah, they where she was saying like you know it's essentially a rat race there can only be one highlander rules for black people always um they're never going to let two of us in here and rather than fight that she she immediately took to i mean i'm i'm thinking of her interaction um with oh god what was it tamra i think her name was tamra um yes i'm thinking of her interactions with tamra and how um quickly it turned shady um because she mm -hmm. pulled out that lotion and told her her hands were ashy real quick um, <laughs> just, which was a mind fuck for me to see hillary say oh your hands are ashy i was like oh no i don't think you can i still don't think you get to say that girl yeah, like, that was was like, me. Wait, what? how did you know the word ashy what's going on here how dare you oh, God. Very it, took, 
it was very confused and it took me a second I had to remember oh yeah Ruby's in there I forgot I forgot but like I'm also thinking of how she she goes down to the basement right after and she's like kicking and cutting up with them white girls mm-hmm. like it, it's like nothing to her it, it, it was so easy because the minute that they started talking shit about her and they said you know I really hope they don't let any other Tamara's in the door and she without skipping a beat was like well we hope well let's hope that the next one is qualified Mm. and it really that highlander mentality is so so seductive and so easy to slip into once you are quote unquote Mm -hmm. on the inside that you really Mm -hmm. have to you really have to check that um it's like such a brilliant call out to white women in general like this idea mm -hmm. of showcasing what safety looks like to them and really trying to like force like to me that's the one thing that maybe wasn't for us right like not mm-hmm. not the scene with Tamara the scene with Tamara was all about like she, her world ideal is crumbling like she can't take the fact that she had worked hard and did everything she needed to do and this woman got there instead and she also can't take the idea that this girl doesn't really understand the privilege that she's been given right I think that really mm-hmm. disturbs Ruby but for yeah watching her go back and like experience the ease of being white and the comfort and the like they're just like oh well we'll just get back to the floor whenever because yeah. who's gonna like who's gonna come reprimand them you can never get away with that crap if you were black like you never today don't be caught sitting down you're gonna get a whole right oh, wearing Lord, the coat no. juking just yeah. not even trying to like get to work on time just no. and she just like with with all the ease in the world, just catwalking and and swinging her hips, and there was no, there wasn't like it wasn't until she said that little bit about Tamra, and then the girl came back. Well, of course she's not qualified; she's a Negro, and that's what it took mm. to what? knock her back down. It's it's so I just that was such a wild scene to me because it's like you love Ruby, you want the absolute best for ruby and in our in our mind's eye i imagine ruby fighting the fuck out of that but even ruby is not impervious to the relief though right like for a moment she just got to dance and hang out and like as you said just kiki with the girls for a minute and so like i I do want to like hold her accountable and be like damn girl like that's your sis out there and whether you believe she's qualified or not like you'd be doing so much more to like help her be comfortable especially because you come in here not just as a white woman, but as a white woman in a position of power over these right. women. Do the ability to do something about this woman's situation. But on the other hand, I get being tired as hell. And you right. haven't had a break, period. Exactly. <laughs> in years. <laughs> in years. Yeah. Like, like I, I think that it was, it, it's, I mean, yeah, of course it's shitty, but at the same time, it's like, it's that, I think that's such a, not a, I don't want to say it's universally felt, but like you said, like if you've been tired for so long and you get that, that taste of just some form of freedom. Can can we all say that we would be the ones crusading and and you know fixing everything right away for that little bit of moment we want to dance and cut the fuck up too? So it, it was it was it was really something. I it was I yeah. felt bad laughing, but I, I did not. <laughs> The, the episode was messy as fuck, and I was right there along with you. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, she talking shit. Oh shit. Well, <laughs> I know. I think. I think it's a. I think I like the episode. It's such. 
it holds up a mirror, you know, yeah. um, to a lot of these are unspoken, you know, feelings um, about navigating as specifically black women. I, I, that's mm-hmm. what, you know, that's why I'm plugged into them so specifically yeah. black women. Well, you know, they, they gave us the, mm-hmm. the, the whole bit, the messy bit, you know, like, like Shannon mentioned, she doesn't go straight into, you know, uh, becoming the white woman ally or like the Jane Fonda. Like she knows she wants to just be, you know, and I feel like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it holds up a mirror um, to, to us in that, you know, we're always kind of as black women expected to be um, yes. morally good, the highest moral good. Yes. That's what people expect of us. The highest, like, mm-hmm. like I, I don't, well, they do call us superheroes because they're corny, but like literally they hold <laughs> us up to be like the highest, like, like God themselves, like, like we are the final authority. So obviously when we fall short of people's expectations, like, you know, in that way, that's when, you know, that's when they swarm. Um, so mm-hmm. I thought it was holding up an interesting mirror mm. to the fact that Ruby does not immediately go into let me save everybody mode. She's just like, no, right. I just want to, you know, like Shannon mentioned, kick it. I just want to relax. I'm even going to talk shit with y'all because she's not worried, again, in that split second um, where she kind of assimilates. She's not worried about, again, being the highest moral authority, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was a really interesting mirror that the show was holding up um, about yeah, our inner yeah. side. Yeah, jumping off that idea, is like we haven't seen a single person come to Ruby's rescue. Yes. Yep. Woo! Yes. Wow. And not one person has been there for her. Wow. Yes. Period. 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 Which would, would which would probably kind of explain the connection that she has to William. Because William's really like so far the only person that is offering her anything that is a value of her that is a value to her. You know what I mean? Because she's usually, like you said, the older the the older sister, the caretaker, and then here's this guy that's like, I'm giving you something. But the thing about Ruby is that she's not stupid because after the first transformation and she's in the bubble bath, you know, washing off the whiteness, so to speak, and she was just looking at William like, yeah, I know I'm not special enough. Like, you're giving me all of this, you know, access and currency and everything, but I'm not stupid. You're going to want something from me. And he was like, yeah, it's, it's just a little favor. And she was like, mm-hmm. You know, that black woman, like, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and right off sure. that and what I, And what's interesting is right after that scene where she's cutting up with the white female co-workers, they're leaving work, right? You see Tamara kind of go off. She's kind of segregated from the, the white female co-workers. And then, you know, William is is sitting outside. I mean, I have to say he was looking kind of cute. Um, you know, leaning <laughs> against this, like, you know, convertible car. Kind of. You know what I'm saying? And the, and the white female, yeah. And they're like, damn, that's your man? And she was like, eh. And two interesting things. Number one, when he came up to kiss her, she kind of moved her lips where he kissed her on the cheek. And mm-hmm. she was like, and she was, he was sort of like, you don't feel comfortable with me kissing you as a white woman. And you know what I mean? So I thought that was interesting that she would not let William be openly affectionate with her in this white skin. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> the other thing that happens is like hyping her up. And he was like, oh, I've got a surprise for you. And then she was like, oh, is this the favor? And then he gives her like this gift box and it's a fucking Ooh, maid's uniform. And, I was like, and so here we go. And here we go. And I was just like, I mean, that was like so symbolic of the relationship. It is, but isn't it like symbolic of the way that black women are treated as like as white? Sometimes in white spaces, they kind of make you feel special until they need something from you, right? Ooh, and then it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, here, here you go. 
Here's this domestic unicorn. And not just a domestic unicorn, but to serve the police. Like this idea of not, am I just going to take you from your literal dream in this white skin, right? This is all she's talked about since we've met her is being a counter girl at Marshall Fields. So he's sending her right back down to where Mm -hmm. she did not want to be, put her right in harm's way, not just with cops, but with cops who are clearly stealing brown body parts to somehow fit Mm -hmm. like the aesthetic of brown sexuality without losing their white privilege aka their white heads like it's the layers of like not do you just have to subjugate yourself but you must also put your life in danger in order to continue to have this access it's like there's just no peace for ruby and i hate it right yeah yeah, that that's like that scene where she's hiding in the closet because I think the 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 favor being well, Christina shows up and gives her some sort of rock or stone or whatever. It was like I need you to put it in the police chief's office, and Ruby's like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" And so she has to hide in the closet because she hears the police chief coming into the room, and it's like this guy who's in the closet. I don't even know what the hell happened to him. It looked like he was cut up. He had stitches. He didn't even have a tongue. So is this double horror of her having to hide in the closet with this man who's been chopped up. I don't even know what they did to him. And then, like you said, Joel, when you see the, the police chief take off his shirt, he has a white face but his chest his torso is that of a black man what the what kind of frankenstein shit was that i don't even know what that was and i I definitely got shades of get out with that yeah this is from hiram's house i think from like underground we saw those chopped up people in episode three right and the idea is we were trying to figure out like what was being done to them and from what we could see in that scene it looked like hiram was essentially playing frankenstein and mixing up body parts But here, it seems like maybe he was like, and my guess is this is going to head into the ideology that, like, Black people have superior physical beings um, or, like, you know, more Mm -hmm. physicality. uh, They're stronger, quote unquote, all of these things. And I think the idea is to then give these, quote unquote, stronger bodies to these white police chief captain i forget what his title was uh which is deeply mm-hmm. disturbing and i'm wondering i don't know for sure yet i'm wondering if that's hiram in the closet if they've kept the doctor who initially started all of these things oh, we see them exercise somebody in the wow. basement i don't know if that's hiram for sure or not yeah yeah that could be it. yeah because i remember they said something about they needed information from him and that eventually he'll talk or something oh. something they needed a location or and something. remember the yeah. white doctor they exercise in the circle turns into a black doctor. Ooh. At the end. Um, and excuse me? I'm wondering if they forced this Ooh. thing on him as well. Like, I don't... That is wow. Okay, okay I gotta go back to episode three. <laughs> All right, you, you're so right. But I have to now watch it again to make sure my brain is registering correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, the thing that's so interesting about that scene is that as as horrific, it it, it seems that to me, at least I feel like that was the turning point for Ruby. I think that is when she decided to reject her whiteness after having to experience all of that shit at at that party and what she saw in the closet, because the the next scene, that's when we see her confront um, Tamara again the next day. She snaps at Tamara telling her, you know, you're not supposed to put the shoes in this display. You're supposed to put it here with the monochromatics. And then she just flips on her. So you have this white woman who's just like flipping on her talking about you've got to be twice as good and you've got to do this because she was like, these white people are fucking crazy. (laughs) 
I'm trying not to laugh, but it was like, but I think that was what really snapped Ruby out of, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say that she really wanted to be white, but I think that's when she, she had to literally see the other side. And I think that is when she categorically denied, like, was like, I don't, I don't want no parts of this anymore. This is not for me mm-hmm. or whatever. And then that kind of goes into um, the coworkers later that night, the white coworkers decide they ask Tamara to bring her, bring them to a black club or like a bar. And you kind of see like the white female coworkers, you know, with their jungle fever, they're looking at the black men there. And then, and what's interesting is that there's, there's this quick scene where Tamara and Hillary are sitting next to each other, but they have the same disgusted look on their faces. They're just looking at these white people taking up space, right? In places where they find comfort. And now they're taking over. They had the same look like, I can't even believe this shit. Right. <laughs> Which was interesting. But I did want to talk to you, but I did want to talk to you guys about that final, well, what happens in the uh, uh, in the alley, right? So everybody's dancing. Uh, the white manager asked Ruby to dance and she was like, I'll be right back. And then we see Ruby in the, in the alley with the potion and she breaks the bottle and deliberately lets herself turn back into Ruby. Mm -hmm. So what were your feelings of that scene? I think the idea for for me anyway, it hit sort of like a couple of points, which were essentially like, I don't want to be a part of a people that would do these things. Right? Like, I don't want to be like, there's no amount of sacrificing my blackness and my like the visible outside blackness of me to be a part of something like that. And then for it to then go into the assault of Tamara, um, I think she sort of sees like this job no matter what, like, because I, I think then you get too into the idea of like, well, what if maybe I was like Tamara then if I didn't have to study, I could just be pretty and people would accept me. But the other side of that is that then you're just used for your looks which oftentimes, especially for men, leads to this idea of you owe me sex because you're pretty mm-hmm. and I was nice to you and nice mm-hmm. enough to give you a job. So you owe me. Right. And so, like, I feel like she's like, there's no safe space in here. It's not safe even for the white women. It's not safe for me. It's not safe for the girls that are pretty. It's not safe if you're thinner. It's not safe if you have more money. It's not a good space to be in. And when she could just be fabulous, amazing Ruby, who is gorgeous and sings everybody down, and gets collects people in a way that is hilarious and snappy. Mm. Like she's just like this. I, I feel like Ruby discovered herself and all the reasons that the four of us love Ruby and are drawn to this character. I feel like in a very short time, those things become appealing to her and she chooses to live in that skin, in that, you know, headspace. Mm-hmm. 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 So, th- so then that leads us into uh, the scene where she decides to where she goes back to work the next day. So as Hillary, she t- tenders her resignation. Um, I guess that was sort of like the final thing where she's like, I'm, I'm done with this. And um, <clears throat> yeah, shit happens. <laughs> um, so she sort of starts to seduce the manager. She was like, you know, I'm, she basically like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm quitting because I'm so attracted to you. And then she kind of takes his belt and then ties his hands with it. And then she, you know, takes off her panties and then she stuffs it in his mouth. And you're, I, I was like, I'm not sure where we're going with this scene. What are we, what are you doing, Ruby? Um, and, oh, but even before that, the conversation, I, I did want to talk about that conversation when Ruby comes home from the alley and she's talking to Christina 
And Christina comes in and she was like, oh, it looks like Ruby was interrupted again. <laughs> and then, you know, Christina starts on this whole, oh, as a woman, you know, I know her heart. And then Ruby just shuts her down. She was like, girl, no. She said, shut the <laughs> She was like, you up. have no idea who I, like, I loved that scene. That was such a cathartic yes. moment. <laughs> How many times have we tweeted something? Um, I, I know because the four of us are online. <laughs> How many times have we tweeted something in our experience and said, you know, this is, you know, pain caused directly by white people. And then some white woman quote tweets it and then decides to correct us and say, Mm -hmm. oh, it's only white men. No, 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 no. no. I I said what I said. I know what I know, yes. and I've lived how I've lived. You shut the fuck up. Why, and, why are you black people's business? Yeah, and, and just, yeah, get the hell out of black people's business for a second. Fix your thing. So to have her really square up with Christina and say, you don't know what it's like to be me. And is it like our, our experiences share very very few similarities you will always have the leg up essentially was just it was just nice Mm -hmm. to for her to have that face-to-face moment because we don't really get that online we have to like endure all of that Mm -hmm. bullshit first and then we have to kind of clap back and you know deal with whatever but i that was probably my favorite moment of the episode as a recapper and a reviewer, knowing there are lots of white people out here recapping and reviewing this show and missing a lot of points, I really felt this was like a key and very important factor to let them know, like, yo, this show is not about oh, comparing the experiences of women. Because there was a point where I was concerned that that's where it might go. To mm-hmm. be like, all women have to struggle mm-hmm. against white men and it's awful. Um, and they, it was like they crafted this scene and plopped it right in the middle to be like, just so you know, that's not the case. Not what we're doing here. Not at all what we're talking about. Christina is definitely still part of the problem because because Christina goes around deceiving people. And mm-hmm. maybe like and there's a lot of reasons for Christina to be the way she is. I mean, look at where the hell she grew up. Look at the time period she's in. Look at the privilege she has and the access that she has. But like this idea of her constantly being like, oh, well, I'm going to get one up over my demons by deceiving, hurting, threatening a bunch of black people so that she can uplift herself. Very white devil of you, lady. Don't judge <laughs> yourself at all. I'm trying not to laugh. Oh my god! Yeah, she's 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 a trip. She's a trip. Yeah, I really appreciated that scene because I. Because the thing is, that's what I was looking for. Like, while I was watching that episode, I was kind of holding my breath. I was like, okay. In my head, I was like, okay, this is the premise that you guys are going with. There's, in my head, I was like, there has to be a final conclusion. Like, in Mm -hmm. my head, there were these certain points that they had to hit. And I was like, if they missed it, this episode could go left real quick. You know what I mean? So I think that was really quick. Yeah. And I think her having to confront Christina with that, that was absolutely necessary um and so yeah so that leads us to the scene where she kind of seduces the manager and then she starts transforming (laughs) she starts i think her eyes start turning her eyes uh turn brown that's the first thing he notices he was like wait your eyes aren't blue anymore they're turning brown she's like don't you like them or whatever and then she just throws them on his stomach 
<laughs> oh Lord. And then she takes the heel. And I just remembered that, that those were the very same shoes that her white female co-workers had given her when they were cutting up. Remember that? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, don't you want to try on these nice stilettos or whatever? And so she takes the shoe and she, good Lord. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> I'll let you guys t- t- tackle that one. Cause I'm, I'm still in shock over that scene. Still in shock. Over like, damn. All right. This is what we're doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was something. But, I, I mean, the one thing that I did want to comment real quick before you guys give your opinion. I think the thing that I loved about that, scene, it was something is that it was unbridled black female rage on a white male body. I, I'm really trying to mm-hmm. rack my brain as to an equivalent of a scene like that. And I'm coming up short. I'm sure there might be some, but I know that that's in, in a way it's almost verboten in Hollywood where black characters don't get to while out on white bodies like that. But I, I just wanted to take your, take, uh, get your take on that theme. I'd have to go back and look at some black exploitation films and see if there's ever a moment like where maybe in coffee, I'm trying to work. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. I have a feeling that that's probably where we would find a similar scene is 70s black exploitation mm-hmm. films, no Hollywood studios involved. So pre like Shaft era stuff. Um, this scene was really hard for me. I think any scene, scenes of sexual assault can be a challenge, uh, even if they're done in quote unquote righteous ways. Um, but there's something about Ruby taking a position of power using her white form as a way of getting one over on this guy who's clearly so disgusting who also no one's ever going to see as the bad guy right like the girls they're like sexually mm-hmm. assault us what are you talking the white women were flabbergasted at the mirror mentioned but ruby picked up on it she knew what was happening right there wasn't going to be justice yeah. any other way like, not that Ruby could get, she clear, the cops are clearly not there for her or her people. Um, this was this was a way for her to use the power she had been given, the power that made her clearly feel kind of dirty and illuminated her to a lot of different things. Her worldview has changed entirely in the past, uh, this is maybe what, 72 hours. Um, and again, there's no one there for Ruby ever to support her, mm-hmm. to help her get through these hard times. Sometimes violence is necessary. It's not a comfortable thing for me to say, uh, but it's a reality in which I've become accustomed to. There's Sometimes violence is necessary. And I really enjoyed take, watching Ruby take her violence out on this man who had undone her, had undone her co-worker, and would probably like likely use his power to harm more women, specifically black women in the future. I bet he'll think twice about it now. Yeah. And we'll never yeah. receive any sort of consequence. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I just want to piggyback mm-hmm. off Joel. Like there, I think the show yeah. is um, good at um, illustrating that there are certain people in certain situations where the language they speak is only violence. That That's, that's just what it is. You know, that's just what it is. And, and and sometimes that's how you have to reply because that's how they understand. So I feel like um, while assault is very, you know, I, I think that scene could again could have went left um, if it wasn't handled how it was handled. Um, but I, I feel like that that was the way to do mm-hmm. it. that. That was the only way that she could get 
across to this very violent, very disgusting, um, but very powerful white man that, no, you can't just go around harming and assaulting people and expect there to be no consequence. Um, and I think the form that it takes um, is, a, is, it fits, it just fits. I'm not gonna say it's appropriate, but it fits um, the story that they've been telling the entire episode. I think it was, I think the trajectory fits. Yeah, it's difficult. It's definitely, um, like everyone said, like a, diff- a difficult line to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they tried their best, um, at least previously. Obviously, he didn't give consent to shoving her stiletto um, up his ass, but he you know, is consenting to some sort of activity. I think they tried their best to at least show that. Um, but <clears throat> when you kind of consider the alternatives... Um, what are the alternatives for somebody like Ruby? Is she going to call the police? Is she going to go to HR? Is she, what, what is she going to do? Is she going to walk away? Because that would have been a problem too. Like if she'd walked away and just, um, you know, as everyone loves to say, you know, took the higher road. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we just said goodbye to um, what, eight seasons of game of thrones where i choose violence was probably like one of the top five <laughs> lines like, i mean like we it's it's not, not pretty you know it's it, it's not pretty it's not it's it's not ideal um yeah and it does of course the the, the implications of like assault of, are going to make me uncomfortable, but you know what? So is fucking racism and misogynoir. Like I'm uncomfortable every day. So it's uh, you have to kind of make right. some concessions there. Um, yep. I, I wouldn't yep. be upset with anyone that was like that made me uncomfortable. No, you have absolutely every right to feel that way. Um, but we also just have to consider what Ruby's options were, and for her to have that final line line of like I want you to know that an n-word bitch did this <laughs> like wh- what can you do <laughs> what can you do <laughs> <at that moment? laughs> it's you know right. it, it's it's a lot have built up yeah to, to that moment well i also so, think if we look at black art a lot of times we use our platforms and spaces for revenge we can never get or for justice mm-hmm. we can never get mm-hmm. and if we think of the number of white men who've assaulted raped black women over the centuries without consequence without without batting an eye like it was it was casual behavior remains in some spaces casual behavior if mm-hmm. i if i look at it as art in that sense it's much more palatable because mm-hmm. we know the harm that's been caused because some of many of us are products of the harm that has been caused. Right. And I think there's something really liberating about Ruby's story and seeing her take, not just take action, but like take back all of her own life. Like she, to, to get your dream and find it soured and still rise after that is it's a challenge. Like it's really hard. Like Ruby has to now go out into the world and dream up a whole new like dream for herself right because everything she knew before is gone yeah. and like and if her dream for herself mm-hmm. now is retribution like power to you sister <laughs> like i hope you get it <laughs> i hope i really want to see ruby just be a badass for the rest of the series i i don't think any of us has seen beyond episode five and like no. there's, i now have such a thirst and a hunger to see ruby play quote unquote the bad guy but really be the liberator. i want her to be the batman of this story 
you know, like out here <laughs> knocking heads, uh, avenging people and doing it just strictly for her benefit, strictly for her own satisfaction. Especially yeah, after that right. twist at the end. I was already I was already laid the fuck out from the scene with Ruby and the white manager. And I was like, oh, and you saw what, what I've noticed that um, I have noticed that there were people who have already put it who have already put two to two together, two and two together online and in message boards or whatever. I I'm slow. I when I watched episodes one through five, I was as shocked as anybody else. But other people who are much smarter than me were like, yeah, you've never seen Christina and, and William in the same room together. But yeah, that was a nice little surprise because now that I'm thinking about it, it totally changes the dynamic between William and Ruby. Well, number just going back to their first sex scene, because now it's like, what kind of queerness is this? Because it was like, he right? this wasn't just your typical interracial black woman white man this is a black woman with a white man who's really a white woman so then that there's mm -hmm. then there's questions about christina's sexuality right like I, I remember watching um episode two with with my boyfriend and this was the scene where the they had just come to artem right and then that's when they you know they came dressed down for lunch and this was when letty came out and she was wearing that really nice equest equestrian yeah, outfit she was. and and my boyfriend was like, do you notice? He was like, do you notice the way that William is looking at Letty? And I was like, what are you talking about? And then he kind of paused it. And this was when he kind of pulled out the chair for her to sit down. He was looking at her like she was a whole ass snack. And I was like, nah. Oh, I was like, well, maybe, maybe he thinks. So now seeing everything together, now I'm just wondering about Christina's sexuality. Well, you I'm know, also is she queer? That... Is she? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, like, and how much separation is there between Christina and William? Like, they are obviously sharing a body mm. and space, but, like, if we think about a metamorphosis and the fact that this is happening time and time again, and the fact that Christina so easily refers to William and his desires as being different from hers, and the way Christina definitely treats Ruby much differently than William does. Like, there's not that same yes! level of affection and attention yeah. to her. So I'm curious to see if William is starting to become his own individual person away from who this individual is as... Christina, they seem Ooh, like I didn't think of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great point, Joel. Because I, I do agree with that. Because I do feel that the scenes with William and Ruby, William has a certain sweetness on her or a tenderness with her that Christina, like Christina, does not have that same, that same thing with Ruby. Like it's more adversarial, at least in my mm -hmm. opinion. But I, I could kind of see that. That's interesting. Well, well then my other question is. Christina slash William gives Ruby the ability to become a white woman, but not a white man, mm. which doesn't come oh. out of the realm of possibilities. And so they're not right. Exactly. So they're not equals on huh. any plane. So they're not. Equals. Wow. Damn. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, so they are not totally equals. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> is that why William can be more affectionate with Ruby is because he has more power oh. yep. over Ruby yep. than yep. Christina yep. does. He's still in control. He's giving her, you know, an inch, right? An inch yes. to make her feel safe and secure. But he's still mm -hmm. in control, you know? That's a good point. That is very much. Yeah, that's. I, damn, now I got to go back and watch episode five again. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. No, it, no, this is this is true. And it's, it. I mean, yeah. I mean, just even the reveal that William and Christina, and, and that talks about the power dynamic to me about how white women, when white women talk about equal rights and 
gender equality, I do feel that sometimes with white women, it's not even that they're trying to revolutionize or radicalize gender inequality. I really think it's just about being approximate to white male power. Yes. I just feel like they just want that space. They're not really trying to change the dynamic at all. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely going to, I'm going to have to watch that again. Um, yeah. So I, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see, um, where they take this <laughs> after episode five. I'll, I, it'll be very interesting. Cause I, I feel like with Ruby now, um, and one thing that I, I did notice too, in episode five, I, I don't know if you guys picked up on it. What was interesting was just because you're seeing um, Ruby's, I, I feel it's a more Ruby centric, Ruby centric episode, but Letitia definitely has her storyline too. But what I found that was, in, what I found interesting towards the end of the um, episode, um, Letitia, the last scene we saw of Letitia, she is in a bathtub with a, with a Bible, right? Because now that she's realizing how deep, this magic thing is going and how Tick is kind of being attracted to the dark side and, you know, um, you know, with uh, Tick's father killing um, the two spirit uh, Native American that they found in the episode before. Um, and so I feel like Letitia is just kind of freaking out where she's like, I don't, you know what I mean? So I feel like she's kind of reverting to a place of comfort. And I think religion is sort of like her haven or her safe space. And it's juxtaposed with, Ruby kind of going in another direction, whereas Letitia is more um, going more back into like a Judeo Christian. And then Ruby is more embracing magic, which I find interesting. Um, I'm wondering if that, I was wondering if that, if that was something that they're going to, if that's the trajectory as far as the storyline with Letitia and Ruby is, if that's something that they're interested in, in, in exploring, but. I, I hope we they shall do. see. Um, I hope they do mm -hmm. because especially right now there's a resurgence um for a lot of us with, you know, ancient African religions, you know, ancestral, you know, ancestor worship. Um I, I hope they do explore that um that comparison, that dichotomy, right? Um, because mm -hmm. uh Letitia and Ruby already have the kind of interesting sibling relationship so i feel like setting them up to also take differing um spiritual paths um is i feel like the the building stones for a very interesting conversation about how spirituality and christianity function in our communities you know because you still have people talking about mm -hmm. ancestor worship um um and everything else you know the devil you know it's always mm -hmm. kind of our own ancestors religion ah. are written off as devil yes. worship and it's the most anti-black shit i've ever heard so i really mm -hmm. do hope i really do hope that they do address it because i'm just like listen if this religion was good enough for great 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 grandma clarkisha i think it's good enough for me too but you know Indeed. that's just me um Indeed. that's just me so yeah. i do hope they explore it i don't mm-hmm yeah i hope so too you know what like just even on a personal note like just dealing with this whole quarantine and pandemic and this whole political uprest, like I grew up very religious, like in a very conservative Christian Baptist household. But like the last, I would say maybe like the last couple of months or, or, or so I've been taking up meditation and it's just really been more thinking about like my, you know, the matriarchs before me and ancestral worship. So like when I meditate, I have a picture of my grandmother and my mom in front of me. I don't, you know, I'm not as detailed as other people. I'm, I have an interest of it, but I find 
that in the last couple of months, this is the most peaceful that I've ever felt. I don't exactly feel that Christianity has exactly helped me. If anything, it made me more anxious because it's more about this apocalyptic, like God is coming. He's going to destroy the world. I was like, that's not helpful to me. You know what I mean? When I'm trying to go to sleep. I'm not trying to think of You know what I mean? Very punishment based. That's not helpful to me. Right. <laughs> very, very much so. Right. So it's it's very much like you did something wrong. Like if the, the reason why this is happening is because you did something wrong, but yet embracing my ancestors and doing the meditation, I, it's more of a place of peace of like, you know, I think of the challenges that they went through and the things that they had to overcome. So I'm trying to like kind of tap into this well of strength. Right. But also trying to find my vulnerability at the same time. So yeah, yeah, that's a great point though, because I, I I do know I think Lakisha I saw there's a web um a podcast therapy for Black girls and I do they do have an episode that talks about that about ancestral about Black women now turning more into like African religion and ancestral religion and the fact that we have to kind of decolonize yeah. ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean I have no judgment if if you know Jesus mm-hmm. is your Lord and Savior, good for you. I have no problem with that, but it's not for everybody. I don't, I don't think it works for everybody. Yeah. Oh, the last thing that I want to say real quick, because it was something that you said, Shannon, about um, how people will may perceive that whole scene with Ruby and the manager as how they might see it as sexual assault. I want to see, I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see the opinion pieces on that scene if they, if they term it as sexual assault. And I'm just mm-hmm. wondering if there's going to be a double standard in there, because if I remember correctly, Something similar happened in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo when she um, was able to confront her rapist, right? There was some sort of penetration. And so I just want to know that if you have energy for Ruby in that scene, I would just be interested to see how you felt about that scene in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And that opens up a question of who gets to enact justice or vengeance, right? So, yeah, because right. I mean, exactly it's, it's a whole genre of, of horror. Like you look at movies like, I, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying like, it, it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, like what they, what exactly vengeance is supposed to look like um, and who is going to get that. I, I think that a lot of fantasies that um, mm-hmm. a, that we have when it comes to women kind of claiming theirs and women kind of going about it by any means necessary, quote unquote, um, they tend to look white they t- or they tend to look like Letty. They tend to um, not look like Ruby. So it'll be interesting to see what the suggestion would be for, for Ruby in terms of getting that um, comeuppance and, and getting to have that moment. Cause yeah, it, it was, it, um, complex it was uncomfortable but we would we have this many questions if she didn't look like her if she looked like letty or if she looked like christina nay bever who's a black queer woman and Mm. host of attack of the queer wolf talks a lot about how she finds catharsis in um rape revenge movies and the idea of rape people who Mm -hmm. victims of rape getting back at either their attackers or somebody else who's perpetrating the crime. And I feel like it's definitely uh, an individual decision on how you want to intake these scenes and what they mean to you. But I think to ignore the catharsis they give to an entire community 
of people who've been abused and harmed is uh, dangerous. I think art doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to reflect our real world values. Sometimes it's meant just to be an emotional release. And I definitely feel that that's what was happening in the scene with Ruby. Like this is a release uh, for a lot of people and an opportunity for them to get some kind of vengeance, uh, justice, revenge, whatever you want to call it. Um, something that they obviously deserve. I don't know. The the moral aspect of it, I think, is going to be interesting to see what people say as well. Because like you guys mentioned, um, you know, when violence is wielded, um, by a woman usually if it's a white woman it's like you know go go rah rah girl power um and that same thing is not extended to black women because once again the whole you know the moral thing we're held to a higher moral standard so i am going to be also interested in seeing um what kind of pieces come out about it um and kind of the 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 Mm. ethics at play in that scene um, so I think that's why it's gonna make people feel a little bit strange. They're like, you know, should you know, should she be doing this as a black woman, even though she's in a white? You know, I feel like it's gonna be comments like that, um, kind of calling into to play what the rest of us might do. And I'm like, I don't know, you might not like my answer, so let me shut up. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Alrighty. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Kent, Joelle Monique, Shannon L. Miller. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. See you on the other side. Bye.